Hey, it's NPR's Book of the Day. I'm Andrew Limbong. I think there are a lot of stories out there where the central theme of it is basically be careful what you wish for, right? I'm thinking of like every iteration of the monkey paw story to the original Freaky Friday movie. But the thing those all have in common is that the wishes are rare. You know, they're special and magical. But in the world of the new graphic novel Shubik Lubik by Dina Muhammad, they're not rare at all. I mean, I guess they're still special and magical, but they are commodities you can buy from any old store. And she and NPR's Aisha Roscoe get into this kind of funny, but also kind of existential conversation about the very nature of wishes and the role we want them to play in our lives. Support for NPR and the following message come from Scholastic with Hummingbird by Natalie Lloyd. Now in paperback, Hummingbird is a funny, magical tale about Olive, a girl with brittle bone disease who refuses to let her disability stand in the way of adventure. Pro-Palestinian protests have popped up on college campuses across the country. But from the eyes of students, what are we missing? From the outside, these protests are painted as really violent when that couldn't be further from the truth. I'm Brittany Luce, host of NPR's It's Been a Minute, and I'm inviting you to hear from student journalists who see what the rest of us cannot. On It's Been a Minute from NPR. The third-class wishes are the ones to watch out for. They backfire. That's part of the reason why wishes are regulated in the world of Shubik Lubik. The title, so Shubik Lubik, it's, it's actually kind of a, almost a fairy tale rhyme in Arabic. It's what genies say when they come out of a bottle. So it's sort of like abracadabra. But what it actually means is, your wish is my command. That's Dina Muhammad. Her graphic novel is called Shubik Lubik. Thanks so much for talking with us. Hi, thank you for having me. So tell us about this world that you've created in the book where wishes are real things. They've been regulated. There are different classes of them. So the concept of Shubik Lubik is it's a world where you can buy and sell wishes and the more expensive they are, the more powerful they are and more likely to grant your wish. So the cheap wishes are sold in cans and the expensive wishes are sold in bottles. And a first class wish is much more expensive, but it will grant your wish very reliably. This immediately creates a sort of classification of wishes and it also creates an affordability of wishes. When you have a regulation of this because they're commodities and and you can buy them from anywhere then you have to consider what would people be willing to spend a million dollars on so when you were a child did you dream of having a genie granting you wishes and what did you wish for oh you know well the thing is it's funny because in arabic if you say you know there's a a jinn or a jinn who, who would grant you wishes i do feel like it has this sense of um you are about to be tricked mm. i actually was this kind of child who Every night I would think about the three wishes I needed to make, the exact right wishes, so they wouldn't backfire. Mm. And so I felt like I had to make a smart wish, and I I definitely wasted a lot of time. (laughs) And turns out not all people think like that. No, no. Well, did you, so did you have your standard, like, I know I would wish for this? Yeah, baseline wish, which is like that everyone in my family would be healthy and and live to be like 120 years old. That was for some reason, that was the time limit I thought was right. (laughs) It doesn't sound about right. Right? It felt like a good wish. Like I felt like no genie would really trick you with that one, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But actually when I was researching this book, I would ask people about one wish. Because once it's one instead of three... I think it's it's a lot more interesting. And it's also, if you could buy a wish, I think it really changes 
how you might think about it. Yeah. And so the story that you focus on that's set in this world is there's a kiosk. And the owner of the kiosk has three first-class wishes. And there's this elderly woman. And she's like, why are you holding on to these? You need to sell them. One of the characters who comes to buy a wish is Aziza. And she's a widow. She's poor. She actually gets caught up by the government because they want the wish, right? It's it's not just that they want those. They also want to control who gets to make them. Yeah. I One of the sorts of keys to narrow down this world when I was conceiving of it is really, it's more or less how wealth already functions in this world. Yeah. It's almost like she came onto this fortune and no one would let her have it. Even though they know exactly where she got it from. It's, uh, do you have the right to use it? Do you have the right to enjoy it? Sort of uh, line of thinking. So there's Aziza and then there's Noor. They're a university student majoring in wish studies. Um, and Noor is rich. Yes. And Noor is is struggling with depression. And Noor is kind of like, well, I'm rich. Why? What am I sad about? Like, there's a whole struggle of even thinking about depression as a real issue. I think this is a very Egyptian concept because many people, many, many people, when I asked them, what would you wish for? They said rudo, which is like a sort of like contentment. And so when I when I was thinking of the character who would wish for happiness, I thought it would be a character who suffered from depression. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted this portrayal to feel very normal and very almost unromantic. And, and there's a lot of graphs and a lot of numbness to it. It's a very numb portrayal. Depression in Egypt is a very sort of lonely experience it's something very singular and so I wanted this character to be going through it totally alone with like not really telling people about it because I felt like that was more true to the experience of mental health right now yeah it's more about the the decision to help yourself I do want to ask you because the kiosk owner, and we're not going to give away the twist. Yes, yes. Um, But it's very complicated. And there's this whole thing of wanting to help and the complications that can come from our desires, right? Shokri, he, he's he's a sort of contradictory character because he, he's very judgmental and, and quite bigoted, but he's also very selfless. And Shokri is the, the kiosk owner who had refused to use the wishes because he felt they were against his religion. That's that's who Shokri is. Yes. He's a character I, I understand very well. <laughs> I think you can't really represent any world without seriously considering how religion works in it. Mm-hmm. And so... It was important for me to have like the themes of faith and health in the last part explored as much as possible. It's very hard to talk about the last part without spoiling. Yeah, we don't want to spoil it, but it's re- it's really good. Yes. So we don't want to spoil it. Oh, you know, so um, you know, I asked you earlier about like the wishes you make when you're a child. Like do you make wishes as an adult? Um, and are you still very mindful about what you wish for? I'm even more mindful now, I think. I <laughs> I honestly would save it. I, I wouldn't use it because I think I would save it for an emergency. Mm. Because you just never know. But what what would what would you wish for if you had a first class wish? I think that I would wish for okay, so I could be like, you know, very deep with it, but the real wish would be that I would have enough money uh, so I ain't got to worry about it. Yeah. <laughs> No, my, I 
God, of course you want health and all that stuff. But I feel like if I could get that money right. Yeah. yeah it makes I, sense. Yeah, I had I had a conversation with a, a friend and we really went through all of the possible, like not deep wishes, but you know, all of the possible, like maybe I should wish for like safety or maybe I should wish to undo like this moment yeah. from my past. And then in the end, we settled on a boat because my friend, after all the considerations, said nothing will make me as happy as a boat. You know, and with the money that I get, then I could buy a boat. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And then all the other stuff, I feel like I could work that I could work that other stuff out. You know what I'm saying? I could work that out. But just, no, just give me a little bit of money. Yeah, it's it's a it's a personal <laughs> thing, I think. It's it's a very context dependent thing. That's Dina Mohammed. Her graphic novel is called Shubik Lubik. Thanks so much for talking with us. Thank you. And and may all your wishes come true as long as they're good ones. Oh, <laughs> yours as well. <laughs> Listen to Embedded for moments that stay with you. I could smell the smoke. I could smell the dust. Voices that resonate. <laughs> Stories that change the way you think about your life. How how did we get here? The Embedded Podcast is NPR's home for original documentary series. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Why is everyone so obsessed with traditional wives or trad wives on social media? This week, we're talking about the viral videos of women making marshmallows and mozzarella from scratch and how behind the sheen of calm kitchens and cute fits, there's some interesting pessimism about our modern world. And that's worth digging into. Next time on It's Been a Minute from NPR. On It's Been a Minute, we're keeping you in the know when it comes to culture. I break down the latest trends and the forces behind them and introduce you to the creatives who think deeply about how we live today. Come for some good old cultural analysis and have a few laughs with me. Listen to the It's Been a Minute podcast from NPR.